1: In a move to reduce the overflow of the jail population and to seek equity for those incarcerated, Illinois is now the first state in the country to completely eliminate cash bail. By a vote of 5-2, to two, the Illinois Supreme Court this month ruled that the elimination of cash bail is constitutional. And while this push has been supported by both public defenders and state prosecutors, It's not without its opponents.
2: The Illinois Fraternal Order of Police calls it a slap in the face. In a statement, the organization says eliminating cash bail will undoubtedly put criminals back on the street and put additional strain on police officers.
1: So I've been curious about how Illinois is the first state in the country to fully do away with cash bail. What does this unprecedented change mean for those arrested, their families, and the families of victims of crimes moving forward? I'm Jim Hanke, and today we're looking deeper into the Illinois Safe Safety Act and what it took for lawmakers to get it passed. Let's get looped in, Chicago. The debate about cash bail in the state is centered around the 2021 Illinois Safety, Accountability, Fairness, and Equity Today Act, acronymed as SAFE-T, which we'll talk about a lot today. The goal was to make it so the amount of money you make or have available at any time doesn't equate to how much time you spend incarcerated, sort of evening out the playing field for those being held. In a statement along with the state Supreme Court ruling, Justice Mary Jane Tice said, quote, our Constitution creates a balance between the individual rights of defendants and the individual rights of crime victims, unquote, and that the act's pretrial release provisions set forth procedures that are in unison with that balance. Judges can still hold defendants in jail, but those decisions will be on a case-by-case basis in relation to the potential danger that defendant could bring to their community. DuPage County State's Attorney Bob Berlin said that he originally had problems with the bill, but through collaboration with a panel of other state's attorneys, both Democrat and Republican, he's happy with the majority of the changes made to the bill in December of last year. He had this to say to CBS2. Every case is different. Every defendant is different. And the whole idea is we want to protect the community. And if someone is a danger to the community, judges should have the ability to hold that person pending trial. This change to a no-cash bail system goes into place on September 18th. And for more information, I caught up with WBBM reporter Nancy Hardy to get a sense of what supporters and detractors of the bill are saying. So the Safety Act currently, as it stands, is essentially the amendment that went through last winter in December of 2022. How does that differ between now and the original writing of it? Because I think some things have changed along the line.
2: Right. There's some clarifications in this massive bill. There is language now that sets out timelines for when defendants have to appear, depending on what they're charged with. It expanded the number of charges for which a judge can order pretrial detention. It clarified police can still arrest people if they're trespassing or if they are considered a threat to safety. And then prosecutors must prove why someone poses a threat to public safety. And then there's some language that also tweaks what the court authority in electronic monitoring is. It was a pretty massive bill, right? I think the amendments as introduced were like 300 pages on their own. So a lot to kind of adjust and modify.
1: Absolutely, a lot to digest. Uh, it seems like this is an issue that a lot of different sides of the law have gotten behind though, You know, from public defenders to state's attorneys. Have you found that in your reporting as well, that it's kind of nuanced?
2: I would agree that it's nuanced. However, leading up to the decision it was pretty much all of the state's attorneys, except for Lake and Cook, that were opposed to it. We know that a lot of concern was about if this was going to open the floodgates for criminals. Kim Fox was saying there was a lot of fear-mongering going on. The argument, of course, was that this violated the Constitution, right? That it was the separation of powers wasn't being upheld. And the Supreme Court found that, of course, It didn't violate the Constitution, that there was a balance between the rights of defendants and the rights of crime victims, and that monetary bail is not mandated in the state constitution.
1: Well, you mentioned victims there, and I wanted to to touch on that because one thing I heard from your reporting specifically is that some feel that this ruling also gives victims a voice in certain cases. Can we elaborate on that?
2: Yeah, that was really interesting. The head of the Chicago Alliance Against Sexual Exploitation was saying that this is going to give victims who she believes don't traditionally have much say in bond court hearings a voice. So under the law, defendants will have two hearings, right? An initial hearing or a conditions hearing saying that you might have to avoid, you know, you might not be able to have contact with a certain person, you might not be able to, to drive, There are a lot of conditions that could be laid out. And then there could be a detention hearing where the judge would take a bigger look at someone's risk or harm to the community or specific victims. The Chicago Alliance Against Sexual Exploitation was one of the groups that was part of that coalition to end cash bail that were very instrumental in writing this legislation.
1: What's been the reaction from law enforcement? Has there been a general statement from police officers, unions or anything like that regarding this?
2: So the Illinois FOP, their state lodge president, Chris Southwood, he said that the Supreme Court decision confirms Illinois status as a state of lawlessness and disorder, saying that the high court ignored pleas of nearly every prosecutor in the state of Illinois, pointing out Democrats and Republicans, and that cash bail would put dangerous criminals back on the street instead of keeping them in jail or forcing them to post bond as they await trial. So that was some pretty tough language.
1: But despite that tough language on behalf of the state's fraternal order of police, Nancy told me that she heard from many that eliminating cash bail could actually kickstart a drop in crime overall.
2: A lot of the supporters were saying that this is going to minimize the disruption that being in jail creates, right? You can't go to doctor's appointments. You can't see your kids. You can't go to school. You can't work to earn a living to pay. And we know that it takes a really long time to get a lot of these cases through the system. And they were saying that this is not going to be coming down to a matter of how much money you make, your mother makes, your grandmother, your church. It's going to be about what's fair. There was a lot of discussion about the historic nature of this Illinois is the first state to do this, so it will be really interesting to see how this plays out, because we don't have a track record somewhere else to look at. And how it disproportionately affects people of color and the cook county public defender Sharon Mitchell jr was saying there's going to be all this money that will come back to communities of color because they won't have to put it up in terms of bond.
1: Well, you mentioned this being such a big topic. We're coming up on 2024, honestly, pretty soon with elections and stuff. Do you think this is going to be something that we're still talking about? People will be uh, evaluating uh, how this goes, you know, uh, over the next half a year or so. Is this going to be a big topic we're talking about come election time?
2: I think so. Darren Bailey is running for Congress. I think he is someone who's been pretty outspoken about that. And I think that that'll be an issue that he raises in terms of the presidential race. Former President Trump has been a fan of criticizing Chicago on the national stage. Or Ron DeSantis, right, you know, being a very progressive move in a very blue state as a kind of a another issue for the national stage.
1: Well, it's a big national move for Illinois, and I appreciate you coming on to clarify a bit of it through your reporting. Thanks so much, Nancy, for stopping by. All
2: right. Thanks, Jim.
1: When we come back, I'll be joined by one of the state's attorneys who helped advocate for this change and we'll discuss what might be next for how the state handles incarceration. Stay tuned.
0: Listen to every MLB game live. In the deep left of field, it is high, it
1: is far, it is gone.
0: Stream minor league affiliates.
1: The Midwest League home run leader. After chatting with Nancy about what everyone has been saying about the state's elimination of cash bail, from victim advocacy groups to police to prosecutors and defense lawyers, I reached out to Kane County State's Attorney Jamie Mosser to learn even more about what doing away with cash bail means for all of us. But first, what does a state's attorney do? Well, Jamie told me that each Illinois county, all 102 of them, has one. And on top of acting as civil attorneys on behalf of elected officials, who may be accused of wrongdoing, her office prosecutes anything from traffic tickets to homicides. So she's seen a lot on both sides of the courtroom. And thus, she, along with two other state's attorneys, wanted to bring that expertise to the idea of cutting cash bail out altogether.
3: I was a part of a negotiation team with two other state's attorneys, uh, DuPage County Bob Berlin and Champaign County Julia Reitz, where we advocated for changes in the law All of us were supportive of eliminating cash bail, but we didn't like the wording um, because it left out some crimes that we uh, believe should have been included because you should be able to hold people for certain uh, crimes. And so my role was that I was a team of people who fought to make the language better.
1: And can you go into some of that language? Because I think uh, for people at home that might be a concern of theirs is that here cash bail is eliminated. And I think people might quickly go to, oh, it's easier than to get let out of jail um, here in Illinois now. So can you kind of specify that?
3: Sure. So the purpose that we've always had for cash bail was to make sure somebody came back to court. That's its intended purpose. The problem is that when you use cash bail and there are people who are low level nonviolent offenders and you, tell them that the only way to get out of jail is to pay money, then you're going to disadvantage people who are poor. On the reverse though, if you have people who make money and they commit crimes, they can pay their way out of jail. And what we see statistically is those people commit more crimes when they're out. So the elimination of cash bail is basically to say, if you are a flight risk, if you're a danger to our community, we're gonna hold you and you have no choice to get out. If you're not, though, we're going to use other things to make sure you get back like GPS bracelets or EHM or things of that nature.
1: During our conversation, Jamie told me that when she was campaigning for her seat as state's attorney in 2020, the conversation about cash bail was not a hot-button issue, but it became one since she was elected. Since then, there's been two main concerns.
3: The first concern is that People cannot be held if we believe that they're a danger. And there's an element to that um, because the way that they've drafted this follows New York's cashless bail system where it is based on the crime. If you commit this crime and then and only then can I ask for you to be held in custody. If it's another crime, even if we think you're a danger, you can't be held. And so we advocated to have a New Jersey-like system, which means you're held, um, and we, the state, have to prove by clear and convincing evidence that you should be held because you are a danger or flight risk. Um, So that's one side of the concern. The other side of the concern, again, dealt with that unfair, unfair treatment of people who are impoverished. And so that's been dealt with by this law.
1: Let's talk about New York and New Jersey a bit, since Jamie mentioned those states as a barometer of sorts for this type of legislation. In 2019, for most cases involving misdemeanors and nonviolent felonies, New York State eliminated the use of cash bail. In the years that followed, critics of the plan pointed to a rise in crime in the following year. According to the Brennan Center for Justice, a nonpartisan law and policy org, this includes a spike between 2019 and 2020 from 2.9 to 4.2 killings per 100,000 people. But analysis from the Times Union of Albany indicates that just 2% of crimes examined where those incarcerated were released under new laws eliminating cash bail were perpetrated by someone out on bail, committing a new offense. In New Jersey, about 10 years ago, 12% of jail inmates were being held because they could not pay $2,500 or less in bail amounts. According to a 2022 Politico article, That percentage is down to under just one half of a percent, and defendants who were released without bail had a 97% return rate to court, which is what Jamie said earlier was the main point in establishing bail in the first place. In your experience, what did it take to get lawmakers, law enforcement, all behind a move like this? Like you mentioned, you were part of a negotiating committee to get this Mm -hmm. done. How long does it take and what did it take in order to do that?
3: I think it took open minds and it took the willingness to come to the middle ground in from the law enforcement standpoint, which was myself, prosecutors and other law enforcement, the advocates of the bill wanted to keep it exactly as written, where it allowed more people to be out. we all had to do is actually sit down and realize that both sides were right have an actual discussion point about it and come to an agreement and so this took months we have been negotiating on this bill since its passage passage in january of 2021
1: so uh i'm always trying to advocate for the person at home listening to this who maybe has not had any experience in the in the judicial system Mm -hmm. or what have you um a lot of people know (laughs) about like okay i understand what bail is. And and you just clarified, you know, mm-hmm. it's meant to keep you from coming back to court really. Right. But um, how does, how does the, the bail system, how did it work previous to this? Like if somebody I know is incarcerated, how do I even get bailed? People see bail bonds. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll get to this in a little bit, but people see bail bonds businesses all over, but like, what mm-hmm. is the, what is the actual process in somebody having to put forth cash bail or not for, you know, for, to get somebody out, but cash bail isn't part of it.
3: Right. So the way that it worked before is you'd be arrested for a crime, you'd be brought over to court. A judge would listen to the state's attorney say, this is the person's criminal history. These are the facts of the case. This is what our recommendation is. A defense attorney, usually our public defender would be there and the public defender would say, you know, they're not a risk. They have no criminal history, whatever it is. So it's aggravating and mitigating. Then the judge would say an amount of money. Now, sometimes that amount of money would just be a flat amount, but they would say, I'm gonna release you on your signature, which means you don't actually post any money. But if you don't come back to court, now you owe the court that amount of money. Sometimes it would be an amount of money like $30,000, but you only have to post 10% of that. So again, that's $3,000 that you're actually paying of cash. If you don't show up, then you owe an additional 27,000, or you know, now we're getting into math that I should pay attention to. Um, And sometimes they say it's just a flat cash amount so if it's 30,000 they have to put the whole amount up. We don't have bail bondsmen like other states do that was actually outlawed so what we did is we tried to do that 10% thing that made it reasonable for people to post. But I want you to think about it a typical low level felony has a $10,000 bail amount, which means you post 1000. How many people of average citizens, you know, especially ones who may be getting arrested, have $1,000 just to post and get out?
1: How does this ruling affect everyday citizens who may not themselves be or know someone who is incarcerated?
3: I think it affects them. So I told you the burglary case before. Um, We have unlawful restraint, which is a class four felony, which means you're preventing somebody from leaving. That's a case that cannot be held. There are a significant amount of class four felonies that we just can't hold because of the nature of what they are. Um, There are certain felonies that are higher than that, uh, that we can't hold unless we also prove that they're a flight risk. I fear that what we're going to see, much like in New York, is that there's going to be an uptick of repeat crime for those individuals. So it'll be until they commit one of those offenses that we can hold that we're going to be able to stop them. I do believe, though, if we start to see this, that the ne- the legislators will be willing to go back to the table to negotiate on this so that we can include those crimes.
1: As for what could be next as far as rectifying the state's approach to incarceration, Jamie says there are a few topics that need addressing.
3: So there is a big movement right now to get rid of mandatory minimums as well as mandatory consecutive sentences. And so, again, when you're looking at our system as a whole, we've seen that we're We're switching perspectives where we realize mass incarceration doesn't work. Now, prosecutors are going to oppose certain portions of that because as somebody gets worse in crime, then they need to spend more time in jail. The bigger thing that we've been focusing on here in King County is expanding treatment programs because if you don't get to the root of the issue, we fail. King County has Illinois' first ever pre arrest diversion program, which means if you're committing low level nonviolent offenses, We'll get you help, treatment, housing, jobs before you ever see a jail cell. To me, that's going to be even more important than any legislation we can ever have.
1: This episode of Looped in Chicago was hosted by me, Jim Hankey, and produced and edited by myself and Lizzie Baumgartner. You can stay subscribed to the program on the Odyssey app or wherever you listen. And be sure to follow us on social media. That's at WBBM Podcasts. We'll keep you looped in again right here next week. See you then.
0: We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds?